Welcome, welcome everyone to FF Plus, your outlet for weekly reviews that are simple, short, and spoiler free. I'm your host, Aaron White, back with a second episode this week because I've got two more films that I want to share with you, both that are releasing in some form or fashion this upcoming weekend. Just as a quick reminder, as always, you can find us on social media platforms. We'd love to chat. If you're enjoying the show, please drop us a five-star review and some kind words on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please check out our network, the Now Playing Network at nowplayingnetwork.net, where you can find a ton of other great shows covering all different types of entertainment media. But as you know, I don't like to waste your time, and I've got a ski trip to pack for. So let's get right into the films. The first one is Your Place or Mine from Netflix. It stars Reese Witherspoon, Ashton Kutcher, Jesse Williams, Zoe Chow, Welsey Kimmel, Griffin Matthews, Rachel Bloom, Shiri Appleby, Vela Lavelle, and also Tig Notaro and Steve Zahn. It is written and directed by Aline Brosh McKenna, has a runtime of 109 minutes, and it is rated PG-13 for suggestive material and brief strong language. What's it about? Two long-distance best friends change each other's lives when she decides to pursue a lifelong dream and he volunteers to keep an eye on her teenage son. When we think of rom-coms, we typically expect to see two people spending time together and slowly falling in love. Your Place or Mine goes a different route. Instead, introducing us right away to Peter, played by Ashton Kutcher, and Debbie, played by Reese Witherspoon, on one passionate night 20 years prior, and then immediately transitioning us into the present, where they have been longtime best friends living on opposite coasts in the United States. For almost the entire runtime, primarily due to the story being that Debbie is headed to New York for a week to complete some sort of accounting or bookkeeping project for her masters, and Peter coming to California to watch her son in the meantime, but we don't actually see them physically in the same space. Instead, we see them having a series of phone and video calls that are visualized in a way that puts them side by side in the film frame. It's not fancy or new, but it's slickly done nonetheless, and it looks great. And most importantly, I think that it allows us to experience moments of their relationship that feel like they're actually physically together, even if they're not in each other's presence. Now, what makes or breaks a rom-com, in my expert opinion, is chemistry. So the biggest thing you want to know is, do Ashton and Reese have it? I think it's hard to say because, frankly, they don't in the traditional sense. If you're expecting two people who naturally just light up around one another and make you feel as if they are moments away from jumping in bed together at all times, you won't get that here. But it's primarily a function of the story and something that I feel is intentional. Debbie is a single mom, after all, while Peter has been living a well-off, mostly bachelor life. She uses a multitude of post-it notes to tell him how to parent her son Jack while she's away. Her house is full of plants and other knickknacks. Meanwhile, Peter's apartment is crisp and clean. He has high tech and zero clutter. They honestly don't seem like that great of a match, but what they do sell us on is being lifelong friends. 
They do that very well. And that is where I feel that the film ultimately succeeds, is in its romantic leanings. As a 40-something, I could see myself in these two characters. It's the kind of romance that is beyond the surface level and looks. The two banter back and forth, and they come to grips during the story with learning that each other hasn't actually been completely honest about their life, despite each of them thinking that they were. They are a pairing that on paper feels a bit off, but is much more realistic in the modern age. We see so many movies about people who jump in bed immediately, think they've fallen in love, and then are often running in a committed relationship. Instead, here we see all the actions of two best friends doing things for one another out of a deeper kind of love, which ultimately is what you want to build a lasting, long-term romantic partnership out of. And so by that measurement, seeing Ashton and Reese, this awkward pairing actually worked better than two actors who give off the vibe of wanting to tear each other's clothes off constantly. And yes, at my age, there's also a bit of pleasant nostalgia about seeing these particular two actors doing something together like this as well. It worked for me, and it made me cry in the end, and I've got to give it some points for that at the very least. As for the rest of the plot, it's fairly standard and simple stuff. There are bits of comedy here and there from Tig Notaro, who plays a friend of Debbie's, and from Zoe Chow. She plays an ex-girlfriend of Peter's, who takes Debbie under her wing in New York. Steve Zahn is also present in this movie for some reason, and frankly, I felt like he was playing a pretty forced and silly character. Jesse Williams shows up as a possible love interest, looking distractingly handsome as always. And I really enjoyed the time that we spent with Peter, who is watching Jack, Debbie's highly medicated, lacking in friends and hyper allergic son, because he parents just about how you'd expect a single man in his late 30s or early 40s to very badly, <laughs> but also very freely. And it's sweet the way that he helps Jack break out of the way that he sees himself to end up becoming a happier person. That's really the theme here, since both main characters also have these underlying dreams that they've never really pursued. And coming to grips with taking a chance on themselves, as well as a possible relationship together, is what we stay locked in hoping they will end up doing. With all that said, I do think that Your Place or Mine will probably just come and go on Netflix like most things. It doesn't do anything quite strongly enough to stand out in the genre. Heck, even the numerous needle drops, and there are a lot, were often cut off after a couple of seconds and felt underwhelmingly utilized, kind of wasted. So despite my personal enjoyment of the more subdued budding romance style, I can see a lot of people being turned off by what they perceive is a lack of chemistry. I do think it's worth recommending, especially to people of my age, but the it factor is missing in this one that it needed to take it to the next level. Your Place or Mine will be streaming on Netflix on February the 10th. So if you're looking to stay home and watch something kind of sweet for the Valentine's Day holiday or Valentine's Day pre-weekend, I guess, it's worth firing up. It's pretty easy to watch, goes down very, very smooth, and 
like maybe you'll get some tears out of you. Maybe it'll get a couple chuckles and some smiles in the end and and you can just move on with your day. Just don't expect to have anything life changing happen because of it. Our other film is Sharper coming from A24 and Apple TV. It stars Julianne Moore, Sebastian Stan, Justice Smith, Brianna Middleton, Darren Goldstein, and John Lithgow. It is directed by Benjamin Karen, and it is written by Brian Gatewood and Alessandro Tanaka. Runs 116 minutes, and is rated R for language throughout, and some sexual references. What's it about? A small, wealthy family in New York City gets progressively torn apart by secrets, lies, and the theft that orchestrates all of it. There's a very tight line to walk when it comes to confidence game thrillers like this one. You want the audience to be uncertain and experience the high of having a surprise revealed. Some will inevitably triumphantly pat themselves on the back for having figured it out, or just wildly guessed correctly. And others will have a major aha moment of genuine shock. How many times can you do that and get away with it before the concept folds in on itself? Well, unfortunately, here in Sharper, we do find out there's a limit. And it leads to an ultimately underwhelming end, despite what I think is an absolute rush of a beginning. In the first scene, bookstore manager Tom, played smoothly and quietly by Justice Smith, so well that you immediately begin questioning whether or not this guy is telling the truth about things before you even are introduced to the fact that there's a major swindle at the center of this plot. He meets Sandra, a college student who is working on her thesis and shares a love of classic literature. It's a really adorable meet-cute and leads us to spending time watching the couple fall for one another and then ultimately come to find contentment in their new relationship, start to trust each other, start to open up to one another. That is until Sandra's brother shows up needing, <laughs> let me check my notes, $350,000 to pay back some mysterious debt to people who will harm him otherwise. Major red flag. Tom wants to help and offers up some money due to his until then kept private family situation, which happens to give him access to said incredible amount of cash. At the risk of exposing too much, I won't go into any more details here, and I'll just say that things go poorly, which then ends up cutting in the film into a new structure for the rest of the picture, where one by one, we begin to follow a new character's POV in a chapter book type style. During this time, we end up meeting a con artist named Max played deliciously by Sebastian Stan. Really just a great performance. I don't know that the character has enough depth to make it great because he's very one note. We meet him a certain way and he, outside of watching him act as a con a couple of different occasions, we really don't get to know anything about him or many of the other characters outside of Tom and Sandra. That, that's a little bit of a knock on the film as well. Everything we learn about Sebastian Stan's character, Max, and also Madeline, 
played by Julianne Moore, is really all related to the potential theft and the confidence game that is being played. Madeline is on the hunt for a sugar daddy, and she wants to detach this person from his fortune. He's John Lithgow, the man in question. Uh, And then there are some supporting players, and this is just an ever-tangled web of deceit. Everyone wants something, and when everyone is an expert in trickery, can anyone really be trusted? I think you already know, but the answer is absolutely freaking not. As I mentioned at the start, the film does fail to provide a totally satisfying climax. That's because we see so many crisscross double crosses that it's impossible to take the biggest surprise seriously. It's likely that audiences will have long figured out the final twists and what amounts to increasingly implausible situations feels in the final act as if we're just going through the motions. With strong performances across the board, especially from the roguish Sebastian Stan, sharp cinematography that resembled a Michael Mann production at times, hazy moments, silhouettes at moments, neon in the background of the dark New York night sky at times, and then a solid score from Clint Manziel, who I wish would have put more than just one excellent electronic track in here. There's a lot to love about this mostly engaging and wicked story about the many schemes involved in defrauding the super wealthy. It's an entertaining ride, for sure, even if it doesn't quite end with a bang. And it's one that I would definitely recommend watching because it's so much fun moment to moment. Just know that you're not going to be left with the depth that takes this to any kind of other level. The trick is the appealing part here. The way in which the narrative, the script kind of pulls back these layers and plays all of these people that we meet against each other. That's the fun of this. But there's nothing more to it than just this singular event that is happening. And we just don't get enough character depth, in my opinion, to become attached in a way that would have really elevated this for me. Sharper is available in select theaters on February 10th and will be streaming on Apple TV Plus starting on February the 17th. Well, that's it for this brief episode of FF Plus. As always, thank you so much, listeners, for tuning in. It means the world to me, and I hope that you're enjoying this format and these reviews. If you do, let me know. If you don't, let me know what I can do better. Either way, I'll be back soon. Until then, keep watching and keep feeling film.